the UN Declaration of Women's Rights, uh, of Human Rights uh, Test on Women's Rights. And I took the test, and it's amazing what I don't know about women's rights in other countries. Um, that's, that's amazing. Well, there's my score here. My score on the women's rights test for um, the UNHR Declaration of Human Rights, which I'm going to pin to the top of the room in a minute, is uh, my score was 58. That is a score that I've never gotten on any other test I've ever taken in my life. So that is, it depends you know, on what it is out of. Is it a 60? Well, um, no, <laughs> it's 58. <laughs> yeah, it's 58%. So it, and it was, it might've been 10 or 12 questions. Uh, uh, let's see, let's go back there. But anyway, I think it's a Hello, story. Heyman. Hi. How are Hi. you all? Good. Welcome all you. to the state. Please yes. come on up. Yes, everybody's welcome. Come on up. All right. I'm, I'm calling up Cheryl. Um, David will come up when he wants to, I know, because cause he will. He's a frequent guest at our rooms. <laughs> there he comes. There he comes. You made okay. me do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm sure you have something to say. Okay, so let me uh, do a few very interesting uh, housekeeping things first. There's always housekeeping in Clubhouse. Clubhouse has updated uh, a very important part of its... Uh, of its capabilities and you can now have a room and put it out public. So what that means is that eventually, I think unless uh, Barbara and Heyman have something different to say, we're going to fold, we can fold Karma Club into Pharma House because many people belong to Karma Club like 10,000. Do I ever see them? No. I see mostly the same people all the time. And those are the people that I want to see more of. And I want to have, um, I want to have discussions with them because we can have intelligent discussions. Now, I don't want it to be all the same people all the time. But I do want not a you know kind of uh random people <laughs> i just got a text that said the new kraken covid is evading immunity so what's new you know i guess i just won't get it anyway um what i'm going to do i think is m meld the room into the club so if you are a member of the club, but you are not a member of Karma House, which is a house, 
um, we we now can put you on a waiting list to become a member of the house. If you're just seriously interested, a lot of people who joined the Karma Club were just new to the app, you know, and I think I was on some, you know, preferred viewer list or something like that. Uh, you know, people whose room you could go to if you were new and you wouldn't be discussing pedophiles or, you know, I don't know, um, Nazi politics, whatever. You know, <laughs> it, it would be a serious intellectual discussion without the, the capability of uh, triggering you. Or I don't know, it depends on who you are. But, you know, basically, I, I don't intend, nor do my fellow moderators and panelists, we don't tend, you know, intend to trigger anybody. We intend to educate them. And Barbara especially is interested in positive things. And so the room will discuss uh, all kinds of serious topics, but they will be solution-based and not just, you know, not just, oh, woe is me because we have that a lot around the app in in other rooms. And this morning I joined a room that's been going on for, I don't know, maybe a week about what social justice warriors want. And it was, it wasn't a bad room, but it was a room that had gotten old. And so I'm, I'm already old, so I don't need to be in an old room. I want to be in a room where I can learn something from people and where the people can learn something from either my experience or each other. And human rights is like a major, major discussion worth having because, again, you know, even if you are a fairly educated person and you don't know what your human rights are, then when they are taken away from you, you don't even notice that they're gone. And human rights, <laughs> human rights, women's rights are human rights is where I want to end up. And women got a couple of very interesting rights uh, taken away from them last year, which brought a lot of women in the United States out to vote. Uh, but that doesn't end it right there. There are 32 countries in the world. I just learned this because I guessed it wrong on the quiz that I took for amnesty. Um, 32 countries where a woman needs a husband or a man's consent to get a passport. In other words, you can't even go anywhere to escape whatever situation you're living in. Anyway, what we need to do is talk about what we can do to preserve and protect and expand women's rights. Because I believe that in a lot of countries, they need to be expanded. And even in the United States, they need to be expanded because it appears that we have more uh, human rights than we actually have. When you see a woman sleeping on the sidewalk in a major U.S. city, 
and you and you are aware of the fact that human rights include the right to housing how does that make you feel you know i didn't even realize that housing was in the un declaration of human rights and you can agree or disagree with me as to whether there's any force of of um of enforcing human rights in the UN from the UN declaration but at least we know even if we can't enforce them we know what they're supposed to be and we certainly know that women are not supposed to be homeless no one is supposed to be homeless in a democracy so Barbara you were going to uh cue this up for us and help us out here cuz this is your field. Yeah, I actually Dr. Fenstein prepared to talk about women in leadership and what women can do to really transform the world and create more women's rights and also human rights but also, you know, uh, impact other things um such as, you know, the state of the world and how different we are in terms of how we are wired and what we look at. So I just want to say a little bit about that because I think it's an important oh, please. lens please. to look at. Yeah. So there are 62 studies that have been done that looks at is there any correlation when you have more women in senior leadership that it has any makes any difference whatsoever. And they've seen some very interesting correlations and one is um to lessen ambiguity, which is quite fascinating. So women tend to deal better with ambiguity. So if you can just imagine what's happening in politics today. Uh, and I don't want to just be focused on US because I know we're all focused internationally, right? But the but but women actually tend to uh create less hierarchy and more interrelated matrix um built around a central purpose. Like what is our main purpose and how can we make a difference? So really the the fact that women's brains are wired differently and they tend to think more holistically and more contextually is important when we look at this right because we've gotten into a place when you look at human rights like housing that you said where we've kind of gotten into this culture of complacency where we just don't even see homeless people some of us you know or or someone begging in the street or something like that or or pregnant woman i remember in new york I was crossing the street and there was a woman she was pregnant and she had slippers on and she was begging and I spent some time with her talked to her and her story was unbelievable right she was like from Iran and she had two more children at home and she needed to feed them you know and she had no option and no husband or anything you know and anyway, I gave her some money and she just started crying you know gave her a considerable amount of money but I just thought what if we all just gave not a considerable amount of money but $5 you know what i mean um to make a difference but anyway so i just wanted to really share also the fact that when we have men and women working together in teams and Cheryl i see you're here too feel free to add to that uh it just produces better results and i think that's one thing that's missing in this world of ours is the voice the authentic voice of women and what they bring and i know many of you including the men have been you know sponsoring that reporting that declaring that right um the fact that you know women tend to be more risk wise and men tend to be more heroic risk taking and that's why we create this type of warlike mentality what we saw you know a few days ago in the 
with the Speaker of the House situation, right, which was pretty crazy. So I just wanted to add that um, lens to it as well around uh, women bringing that impact. Cheryl, do you want to add anything? Yeah, it, you know, I'm going to just start but because I, I made so many notes, Barbara, and, you know, and Dr. Francine also. You just always inspire really important thinking. And I and what I love, I just want to go back to really... I inspire note-taking. <laughs> and note-taking. So important. But what I really want to go back to is is traversing this gap, this chasm between knowing and doing, that we just talk, the awareness is important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have that awareness and we shouldn't have these conversations, but it's really getting to the action place and how do we get there. So Barbara, what Barbara, for anyone that doesn't understand what gender intelligence is and, what, and Barbara's work that she's been doing for now three, more than three decades, it's really bridging, bringing men and women together and understanding that we are actually biologically different. It's not just this quote unquote bikini factors. Yes, that's actually a term, but that our brains are actually different and really all of our organs are different. And when we understand our brains and we understand that, and again, there's a bell curve, but there's just to simplify this, that women are divergent thinkers we tend to, to think more around an issue and we'll look at all these different paths and that's why Barbara mentioned that we tend to be more risk wise because we're going to look at all these various outcomes but sometimes not always we'll it will take longer to get to a decision apologies apparently my dog agrees with that where men are very solutions oriented, but often won't think around all of the issues. So when we're really talking about leadership, we're talking about how do we get to solutions for human rights and where do those two ideas converge, bringing both men and women together into the picture is really important. And I'll just finish with this, Dr. Francine. That we're this, the title of this room is Women's Rights Are Human Rights. And we need men as part of that solution. The allyship, not just the thinking, but the allyship is so incredibly important to get the real solutions to take place. Otherwise, we end up talking in a vacuum. You know, it's the echo chamber. So thank you, David. Thank you, Heyman, for being here. Thank you for all the men. Let's keep inviting everyone in. Don't just nitpick the women, you know, on your list. Bring the guys in, too. Don't you agree, Dr. Francine? Well, I have all, you know, I usually have more men than women in my room, no matter what I'm discussing. But I, I have an interesting, and I don't, most of the men I know are very evolved and very um, much willing to do this. But the question is, what do we do? You know, you're, you're right, Cheryl, this, you know, sitting around and talking. And I, I'm, I'm guilty as much as anyone of sitting around and talking. But at least when I sit around and talk, after a certain point, I write and I publish what I write and I put it on social media and try to amplify it and try to at least reach people and bring up the issue, but, but I, you know, I, I can't, I'm too old to march, but I, I, 
feel like I feel like Heyman, you talk because I, I <laughs> no no um, no actually it's uh it's interesting. I don't feel it's, like I, I want to drown out a man. No 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 it's it's just that um, I just opened the mic because I wanted to let everyone know that as you as always Clubhouse uh, sorry Karma Club uh, is always multicast. So we're simultaneously casting to Colin, and in the previous times, we used to do Twitter Spaces as well. Um, and oftentimes, you'll hear other voices through me as well from the other platforms. So platforms can interact, especially when uh, certain people cannot be on certain platforms due to geographic reasons or other reasons. Uh, this is how we enable accessibility. Uh, Jenny is also on the call-in side. Uh, Jenny, if you want to add any point, but uh, basically for the male side, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it depends on your upbringing too, because I, I'm a Sri Lankan, uh, born and raised, uh, and now living in Canada. Uh, and I don't know. Growing up, it's been the family, right? So it's just, usually our our families are more matriarchal. But I mean, we we never really, you know, we do have our problems. We definitely have our problems with uh, women. Uh, not having full uh, rights and so forth. But uh, growing up, I remember even having the first uh, female leader in the world being taught to us, right, uh, was in Sri Lanka. So the first female leader was not uh, Israel or England. It was Sri Lanka. Um, so like that, we always had strong leaders. I think it depends on like who we look up to and our role models. I think that's what we're missing. And also the recent issue with the Andrew Tates and all the other, this this rising movement of machoism or something, whatever it is, it's maybe sending a, like it's sending confusing messaging to everyone. Uh, Jenny, I know you're from, uh, Jenny, do you want to chime in on this one? On Sure. I, I haven't listened to the whole conversation, but I do have thoughts on this topic. There is a new movement called the trad wife movement. If you hit the hashtag trad wife, you'll see it all over social media. And this, Oh is my God, sure. I've heard, I've seen it. Is that the traditional, I guess, trad? This is a group of young women who have determined that they want to be homemakers and oh. they want to be somewhat subservient to their husbands and children and engage in traditional arts of homemaking and raising their own children, not hiring nannies and other daycare centers to raise their kids. Many of them are into homeschooling and live in a somewhat... Um, self-reliant space in terms of gardening and having animals to provide milk and eggs and cheese. And so there's this movement online of these young women choosing, consciously choosing to go down this path instead of following lockstep with the feminist movement, which, while I agree, there have been tremendous gains around opportunities. Not every woman wants to go down that path. And for those of us who've chosen to be homemakers, we have felt somewhat kind of brushed aside, like our lives aren't important. The daily work that we do is not as important as the woman who chooses to be a CEO or a famous chef or a judge or an attorney or whatever. And so I actually applaud this as just a broadening of young women's opportunities. If this is how they choose to live their life and want to support each other in various spaces, I think that's great. And I applaud Every woman determining for herself what she wants to do with totally. her life. Totally. I, I mean, I, I think it's shocking that we've reached the point where we need a trad wife movement. Because I came out of the 50s, and the 50s 
was a trad wife movement. And in the 50s, many women seemed fine, but other women were very unhappy. And so they have spent, you know, they've spent a lot of time trying to get out of the trad wife movement. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you have to have a movement to have women stay in the home. I actually think um, it is time to reevaluate that because, and the reason, the reason I'm saying that is because of children's grades and scores and the, the number of divorces and so on. And, and, and one of the things that's interesting to me in having these choices is, wait a minute, what about the economics? Many women work because the, I'm, I'm, wait, I'm just going to finish my sentence now. And, um, um, many women work because they have to. You know, they. Yes. If we didn't have an economy based on consumption, and don't get me started here, but we have an economy based on consumption, and that totally means um, that more people have to work so we can all keep up with the Joneses. Go ahead, Al. Yeah, and I'll go after Al. Al, go ahead. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. Um, thank you for the room. Uh, this is something I'm very passionate about because I'm thinking back to when I wrote my first book, um, Expecting Change, The Emotional Journey Through Pregnancy, and then The Indispensable Woman two years later in 1986 and 1988. I used to do lots and lots and lots of uh, very large speaking, uh, all-day workshops and keynotes, and I would be in a room filled with, you know, 300, sometimes 3,000 women, and I'd sometimes say, you know, raise your hand if you are a mom. And then I'd say, raise your hand if you work, and half the hands would go down. And I'd go, no, no. It was like you're all working. If, if you're being a mom and you're working at home versus working in an office, at which time you're probably also working, you know, calling home constantly to see how your kids are, um, there was just so much defensiveness and judgment on either side of that about, you know, who was a legitimate mom and what does it mean to work. So I am personally happy to see this kind of a statement coming out. And I agree, it's too bad that we need a movement for that. Um, you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing. That, but I can see where there's some defensiveness about that, of women who are at home feeling like maybe they're not judged as making the same contribution to women in the workplace. Um, and it's even more interesting now that so many people are working from home, <laughs> at home. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to jump in here and chime in and say that I think it's an important conversation and that it's really important to recognize that all parents, whether they're working inside the home, outside the home, are working because it's a lot of work to be a parent. I agree with that. Also, to put it into a larger context, we want to think about the fact that there are certain states where 68% of mothers are single mothers. They don't have a father around and they have to work, right? They, they economically, this to survive, not Absolutely. even to, not even to put, you know, compete with the Joneses, but just to survive. I was one of them, you know, I had, I was separated with three children and my husband didn't, um, you know, didn't contribute, my ex-husband. And I had to work, you know, I wish I didn't. I so would have loved to have the choice to be at home at least the first five to seven years 
which I didn't, you know. And I know there are many, many women, especially black and brown women, you know, in the United States and, and Canada as well, um, and other parts of this world of ours. So, yeah, it's a complex issue for sure. Uh, again, back to Shell's point, I really want to focus on solution, how we can, you know, make an impact in making this place, being the world, a better place for both women and men and girls and boys, right? Um, and that's really the key for me. And I just remember years ago, I was asked to speak at Harvard after Larry Summers did, he was the president back then, and he did this major blunder where he said, you know, uh, Women are different, that's why they can't advance. And he just completely misinterpreted the newer science of gender differences and actually got a vote of non-confidence. I was asked to go and speak, and I said, rather than pick on Larry, I said, you know, there are things we don't know we don't know, right? And sorry, this is my dog barking. Um, and uh, but, but consider if we did this. What if men spoke for women and women spoke for men? What kind of world would we have to create First of all, men would have to truly understand women, stand in their shoes and truly understand, and we would have to understand men, right? It would create a paradigm shift, and you could kind of hear a pin drop in the room, and then one applaud, and then they all applauded because they thought that was an interesting mindset shift in how we could think about this, you know, and really advocate for one another. So that's a, a, a worth exploring. Greg, I don't know if you have anything to add because you've got – a lot Greg, of, brought his, Greg, Greg brought his wife into the room. Yeah. Usually he has his dog up there as a PTR, but it's a room about women, and so he brought his wife. Wonderful, Greg. Thanks for doing that. And I also yeah. noticed that Cheryl actually uh, – did you have a reaction to that, Cheryl, Barbara's last name? Oh, Cheryl, go ahead. Yeah, I did, and I'm I'm really curious to hear from Greg also, but I'll tell you, Barbara, before you even am muted, uh, I was thinking about – this idea of choice, because I also was a single mother, um, you know, I worked from the beginning. And then when I was divorced, when my son was three, I really didn't have a choice. My husband, ex-husband um, didn't contribute much at all. I mean, it was pitily. And, you know, I didn't have the choice. It didn't mean that I walked around feeling sad or upset that I didn't have the choice. I was always very passionate about work. But Later in life, uh, quite a bit later, I went, well, maybe not that much later. My son was probably about eight or nine. And uh, my sister-in-law expressed to me that she thought I looked down on her. And by the way, we didn't really live in the same area. We didn't converse that much. So there was nothing besides what was going on in her own mind to uh, reflect this. But I don't believe but she thought that maybe I was judging her or looking down at her because she had chosen to raise her children at home. She, you know, she was also well-educated and she chosen not to go down the career path while her children were young. And so she was being really just hard on herself and assuming that other people were somehow judging her. And I think when one of the things, Barbara, as you were speaking was, I also, you know, I do want to um, parrot that, I would have just liked to have had the choice. You know, my answer to her was, wow, I've always looked at you and thought how wonderful that you could spend so much more time with your children and how much I would have loved to have had that choice. I'm not sure what I've chosen differently, but it would have been nice. It would have been nice to really be able to make a decision about that, not have the decision made for me. 
As we get to solutions, the one thing I would like to add, and this is I understand it's high level, but it's a place we must start. And Barbara, you talked about this. What I had written down was understanding and empathy. We have to continue to build understanding. This is one small example where someone came up and they didn't understand that not only was I not judging, but in some ways I was quite envious of her position. It was a lack of understanding and it was self-imposed on her part. Um, but if we have to continue to communicate and create those bridges of understanding, and then the second piece of that is the standing in others' shoes. Barbara, you always talk about this, and we can't, we have to continue until we build empathy because empathy can be learned, I believe, in most cases, not in all. Some people are just born with this gift. Others That's next it. week's subject, the power yeah, of empathy. I'm, I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm really glad because we need to do this. And the way to do it is to continually show up non-defensive and giving our feedback in a non-blame way. And sometimes, you know, people need to learn how to do that. We don't do that naturally as well. But in a non-blame way, so that you can disarm the other side and then have a real conversation with all the barriers. barriers. If you had gone into business when, when I, and maybe you did. I mean, you look too young in your picture. But when I went into business, I was always the only woman in business, and how how I was able to. Um, succeed if you know working your ass off all your life is known as success how i was able to succeed was by empathizing with the the man who was my client you know it was always the man who was my client and and i had to i had to always say this man is scared about his business failing this man needs to feel, you know, supported. This man needs to feel, needs some new ideas. And so I, I very early on learned to stand in the shoes of a man. And, and I did that for long enough to where one day I was in, um, in a restaurant with a friend of mine and he said to me, do you know, you don't even really even notice women. You only notice men, and you stand up only for men. And I think that was a failure. You know, I, I mean, yes, you have to do that. You have to walk in the other person's shoes. But I have walked in a man's shoes for so long that when I had to start to learn how to walk in a woman's shoes when I started coaching women. Because women have, women are, they really are different like when I coach women, the thing that I notice about them all the time is they say, I'm sorry. They're always sorry. They're always sorry for something. And I keep saying to them, yeah. you're not you're not sorry. You didn't do anything. No, one of the things, Dr. Francine, in linguistically, in my first book, same, same words, different language, that the intent of women saying I'm sorry tends to be different than when men say. So when men say I'm sorry or I did something wrong, you know, I, you know, I stand corrected kind of thing. Women use I'm sorry to establish empathy. It doesn't mean that they're sorry at all. You know, so for example, if I walk down a hallway and bump into someone, the shoulder, I say, oh, sorry about that. I'm not really sorry, but I'm just saying, you know, 
empathy, right? So there's a different um, connotation there around it. Um, so that's a fundamental gender difference right there. Really? I mean, really? I don't know if I buy that. Yeah. I'm also... Um, I was watching the uh, sorry, I was watching the chats, and um, I also uh, again, once again, this is the Karma Club, and it's multicast on Clubhouse as well as call-in app, and uh, so someone on the call-in side, uh, Greg Slam, that's basically said that oh, please don't. Uh, he, he was saying basically, please also talk about the lack, the loss of rights in Iran for women and Afghanistan and Ukraine. Yes. So, I mean, there's something that, you know, we, I guess we may be taking for granted this conversation about the rights we already have, but it's amazing to watch the, the rights being taken away from the Afghani women in such a short term. Like, yes. Can that happen in the, in the Western world as well, or with these kind of movements? Like, can one gender or some one gender feel fear like their rights being lost in the workplace or anything else? It's a great question, and we did talk about it last week. I mean, it's just what's happening in Afghanistan and Iran uh, today. I mean, it's elevated right now, but it's been happening forever. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I can't tell you how much I've studied that and uh, and the fact that it just seems to escalate versus going the other way around is, is pretty crazy. And we talked about that last week, about what are we going to do about it, right? And I have reached out to, like I promised, to Hollywood and... Um, have connected with them and I'm talking to them uh, as we speak and also next week one of them is in Australia right now and coming back to Los Angeles shortly uh, but there's lots of floods and stuff going on and just um, to but, get you back yeah. on track sorry to take you off track but uh, Greg yeah. was also saying oh please don't take us off track to the he's the one who brought up the question too but he said he loved the previous conversation that was happening about uh, the differences in how women uh, communicate as well. Uh, genders communicate. Awesome. So getting back. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, I'll continue a little bit around some of the differences. So yeah, so language-wise is this one, but the second is really the neuroscience of differences. And anyone who hasn't watched my TED talk, please do that. And and also, Dr. Allison McGregor has a great TED talk as well. And I was just on a conference with Dr. Larry Cahill, who's one of the most famous neuroscientists out of uh, University uh, uh, UCLA, Irvine. And, um, and he's saying it's now totally indisputable about differences. 95% of us have either XX or XY chromosomes. Uh, the problem is that we, we, we mix, we confuse gender and biological differences. We lump them in together and they're not, not, you're not able to do that. So what that means is gender is a mosaic of gender. We can be all kinds of genders as we know with the LGBTQ2 movement, etc. right? But the biological differences are hardwired and some of those hardwired differences are in our brain. And one of them that's pretty fundamental is the difference between the amygdala in, in male's brain and the prefrontal cortex which we both have obviously in the brain, but the prefrontal cortex is more connected in women and girls, if you have daughters. Um, and what that means is that when women and girls are looking at something, they look at the consequential thinking around it. So if I jump from there to here, what, what, can, that, what can happen? And that, that is it was super important, right? Especially in countries like Iran, Afghanistan, you know, that we really include the thinking of women 
because the amygdala, which is the fight and flight, tends to be more on fire in men. Um, and that's why we see a lot of high risk taking behavior, a lot warlike behavior, um, you know, in politics and all of that and elsewhere. Um, and so that's one fundamental difference uh, between men and women. So when women say something like this, you know, I'm not sure this is a good idea. You, this is for the men. You should ask why. Pay attention. Or girls, pay attention. Ask them, what, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Because women have a, a longer-term view and can see the impact of that. And I'll just give you a very simple example, and that was my brother. It was three years older than me, and I think I was 10 and he was 13. And we were climbing into a, a, bit, a construction kind of apartment thing that had no windows yet, <clears throat> but that had stairs. And he went on the third floor, and he said, let's jump. And I went, I'm not jumping. Are you kidding me? I'm not jumping. And he jumped, and he broke his ankles, right? And we see that high risk behavior in young boys and just so you know that the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop in boys until 18, between 18 and 22. And in girls, it's between 12 and 14. So there's a, a, a difference there. Just just that fundamental. But there are many, many other parts of our body system beyond our brain that is so different that we really need to gain back to Cheryl's point gain more understanding because the more we can understand the more we can take action you know and uh, and really bring you know more women I just see in because I'm in the corporate world I see women being more worried about people more worried about um, mental well-being of employees uh, and men tend to be more worried about the bottom line and that part of it is hard wiring. So it's really the combination of those two that's important to include. And I know I've taken a lot of air time. So any, anything to add, yeah. anyone? I, I'd like to hear from Mira because Mira said they had a comment. Mira, please. Hi. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to speak about <clears throat> women rights being human rights. Uh, so, um, I would like to uh, take this platform and also like to address the, you know, about the lives of women and, you know, about the lives of trans women as well. So I would like to uh, narrate an incident which just happened today. So my exams are going on and we were in my exam center and we, I have a friend. She is also a trans woman. So while we were giving the exam, uh, so she did something which is uh, which uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, aspire to do or can't even, you know, like think of doing because of the moral policing being so much prevalent in my country, India. So what she did, she basically today decided to wear, uh, she basically decided to wear a frock. <laughs> She, she basically decided to wear a frock and, uh, you know, have a nail polish. She, uh, and, you know, come to, uh, come uh, and give her exams. So what happened is the invigilator who was, who was assigned for the exam duty could not match her face with the, per, uh, like the, she had a different face. I mean, she has a different picture in the admit card and in the ID card and, and which is not matching with her face right now because the picture was taken when she had short hairs and all. So the invigilator kept on harassing her, saying that, no, this is not you, and kept on misgendering her, even after us and everybody saying that she goes by she, her pronouns. And the invigilator kept on misgendering her 
asking her that uh, if you have not transitioned then i can't allow you to sit for the exam because your face do not ma- does not match with the person in the admit card so you wouldn't be allowed to give the exam she this happened while she was giving the exam and sh- reminding you she is just an 18 year old kid like and uh, this happened right there i could see that you know she's shivering her, she could literally i could see her crying but, but we were all helpless how what could we do so we some of us protested but nothing happened finally our mentor came our in which uh, our depart head of the department came and said that yes they are the same person and then only she was allowed to give the exam i mean this kind of predatory behavior which we face in my country i mean at least which i can say about myself like me being a trans woman as well i i we have tried to you know dress up the way we want we have tried to you know uh, express ourselves the way we want but yet we are always we, yet we always end up getting policed then and there every time and Mira, I mean, sorry, especially this, Mira. Yes. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Sorry, this is Heyman. Um, wondering, like the yeah, your yeah, friend, hi. your friend actually uh, finished their classes, right? Her schooling during the schooling was there any prejudice? Yeah. Like exams, I understand because there's a lot of sometimes cheating going on. It's just like a passport, right? When going through immigration, if you have something different from your picture, it's a different story, right? You will be questioned about it. but i'm just wondering from a general like in this conversation for instance women's rights and human rights and anyone gender's rights right so the question is also it's like uh, are people in the workplaces or schools uh getting uh the same um i'm not sure barbara is that the correct word i mean are we are they given the same opportunities or same uh to succeed what would the so uh, that's what i was about to yeah uh, that was that was exactly what i was about to say is that we do not i mean in in certain country i mean in developing nations mostly we do not get the opportunity to even be ourselves even express ourselves and when we try to do do so a lot of basic opportunities a lot of basic things are snatched away from us like what happened in today's case was giving an exam so i mean this is what i i mean so that is we have been protesting about for a long time and sometimes people do understand sometimes they don't so i mean i just wanted to take this platform and you know like say uh, tell about the incident which happened today thank you so I much think, for allowing me to speak i think that was wonderful mira and thank you for doing it i wish i could tell you things were better in the united states but i suspect they they aren't when you really come down to it because uh we are having huge arguments here about when and how people should be allowed to transition and in some cases we're having arguments about whether such a thing as a trans person actually exists and so we i i'm hearing you loud and clear and i'm understanding you loud and clear i'm just telling you that it is also like that in the united states and i think that's because we are in a real heavy duty period of transition in social values and it's really a very very big shift maybe on 81 and i think it is the biggest shift that i have seen in my life 
The second biggest shift, of course, was when people were come out, you know, became able to come out as gay. And, you know, truthfully, that didn't happen until more than half my life, you know, maybe three quarters of my life was over. But I can tell you something that might make you feel better, which is that the momentum of the gender and sexuality shift um, is picking up. So I think it's going to get better for you. You, you know, you're young, and I think it's going to be better for you than for the last generation. I know that doesn't make you feel any better, but, you know, over the long haul, we're heading toward, I think, where you want to go. And I think one thing also you mentioned, uh, Mira, was, sorry. Fingers crossed to that. Fingers crossed to that. But also, Mira, <laughs> something you, so you mentioned much. was uh, promising too, right? The fact that your peers and others were standing up for the uh, injustice, right? So I think that's more and more common. I'm just wondering also in a boardroom, for instance, uh, if someone was being mistreated, um, sort of in the workplace or everything else, how much do like coworkers stand up these days? Uh, schools are now becoming, schools are good and the students stand up, right, Mira? But I'm just wondering like in the workplace where people are worried about jobs and positions or there's a fight for positions, how does one stand up without any repercussions? I, Heyman, thank you for that question. It's a super important question. And we've seen, we do these diagnostics um, questionnaire and we ask one thing around inclusion. We say, do you feel, do you feel that you can speak up when you see non-inclusive behavior? And that's one of the lowest scores uh, that people don't speak up and they're afraid to speak up, which is super concerning. So we actually provide training about being comfortable with being uncomfortable and speaking up, right? And for example, in Mira's situation, you know, had there been people around who had done that, maybe it would have gone differently, right? Um, but I really think that that's something as an action we can do. As an action we can do. We can assume the best of intentions to say, wait a minute, maybe you have a blind spot here. I'm, I'm sure you intended something else. However, that did not land very well for Mira or for somebody else, right? I think that that is an action that we all should take. And I'm done for now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, so what I feel that in situations like these, uh, I mean, of course, we should stand up. But uh, but then if we look at the uh, psychological aspect of it as well, is uh, taking my situation in consideration today, uh, there's an exam going on, there's an examination going on, the invigilator is asking anytime if you say anything against the invigilator and if you say anything which might piss the invigilator off, your examination could get cancelled, your year could get wasted. So... I understand the fear of the the uh, the, uh, the environment of terror, the environment of fear which has been created. Uh, you know the huge power play, the huge power structure at play. You know because that's the invigilator. You cannot, you know, like afford to piss them off. But uh, I mean, I can understand if uh, if my friends or if, uh, if if I was the only one standing up, then I, I mean things could have gotten uh, things could have gone down south for me as well. 
uh, in a way that you know i would be the single target and i could have my paper could have been cancelled but then a lot of friends stood up so i mean that is why we need unity in these situations where people standing up for one another helping out one another one thought also what happened like what was the conversation after the exam with the invigilator was there one because i'm wondering what the change i mean oftentimes honestly people can make these mistakes right because exams are there is a huge problem not huge but there is a significant problem with exam cheating so uh, i don't i wouldn't blame the invigilator like just as i wouldn't blame like for instance a security guard who's taking extra precautions at the border or something right at the airport or something to protect to do their job right so i'm wondering like was there a conversation at the end with the invigilator so the future like situations don't thing and also this person doesn't get negative you know experience from this right so they also have a learning moment right i'm just wondering is there a, a plan to do yeah. that uh, so what happened is like after the examination got over and we were walking outside the hall uh, we decided to speak to the invigilator and you know we had exactly the same concerns whether was it out of uh was it out of plain and sheer transphobia she was doing it or was it simply out of you know her job or her, her duty as an invigilator to get to know these questions we went and spoke to her as well and what she said her points were bizarre she said that uh, uh how uh, she said that no just uh, she she said i cannot i cannot see a uh, you know a man dressed up like a woman like she's a trans woman so she said i cannot see a man wearing a frock and calling herself a woman i will find that as an act of you know i would find that person as an imposter she was kept on using the word imposter a lot of times and then then we could have understood then we simply understood that you know, this was not for you know the duty or for the invigilation purpose but this was simply for you know showing like showing her disgust towards the student i mean uh, this is not the first time uh, my friend she has been wearing a frock when while giving the examination she has done this before as well no invigilator ever asked this invigilator only had a problem and after which we spoke to her and her after getting to know what she actually intended to do we decided to file a you know a disciplinary action against her we have written a letter to the authorities and we hope that the th- the college authorities take some actions against her good that's what i would do i mean of course i i'm not risking anything sitting here in phoenix arizona you know saying that but i mean how you move things forward it's like pushing a peanut you know you push it forward a little bit at a time and all of a sudden it moves you know um i would like to hear um from some of the people on stage who have not um have not spoken yet if they have anything to add gigi dr king and also anyone on king, call in please uh, come on up dr minich minich say your name yeah. Yeah. Dr. Francine, Dr. Yes, King, I someone I, I, I hear you. Sorry, it's, Dr. Uh, King, I was going to just introduce you very quickly. I just really, I, I know that Dr. Kinga can't stay for too long. So I was hoping that she could share a little bit because she has such a, an impressive. She can, I just asked her. Yes. I just need to pronounce her name properly. <laughs> yes. And, um, 
And Dr. Kinga, just to bring you up, because I know you had texted me in the background, um, that, you know, this conversation really is meant to be not just to discuss the issues, but really what are some of the solutions? What are some actions we can take? Because I know you have a lot to share on that. So I'd love to, to hear from you. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've, I've just jumped in uh, on here and just, um, you know, I first started listening in. Um, so it's always really difficult for me to just kind of like watch just half the context. Um, say also, what are, what are some of the solutions? Um, but in my opinion, I mean, like in my experience, in my opinion, um, I've lived really across the world and my background is in gender studies and social psychology. Um, and uh, I started studying gender studies really where the LGBTQ movement wasn't yet uh, discussed um, as dominantly as is being discussed right now but grew up with moving it more into the um, scientific um, area and, and into the scientific conversation. And um, I have to say that my experience is just a little bit different because I grew up and studied in, in Frankfurt, Germany. And um, many of my professors, uh, I had actually a trans professor and uh, um, the professor that was really uh, guiding me through my PhD um, was uh, was openly gay um, and uh, therefore the entire I would say also surrounding um, the way we would discuss certain topics was a lot more open because it also allowed for um, open conversations with questions you know without uh, having the fear for being judged if someone asked a question. So of course, we, you know, like as students, we were you know, a lot younger. I mean, I was 20 when I entered the university after uh, spending some time overseas. Um, and at 20, you know, I think that maybe we don't always presume um, that someone is, uh, has malicious thoughts. I hope that at least we give the youth nowadays uh, some credits for it, that they are just curious and want to understand. Um, Look, we live in a time where a lot of social structures and constructs and roles are being questioned. And we need to allow the space for the conversation. And when we, um, when we speak with people that don't understand who we are or what we stand for, or people that don't understand what we are portraying, I think it's important to ask them questions also so we can give a little bit more, um, so we can gain a little bit more understanding on how to help them to understand, um, to understand us. So, um, yeah, so th that is just on, on that topic from what I picked up, kind of like what was going uh, on, um, you know, just just since I joined. Um, but what I've been doing and mostly focusing on is really uh, working with women and seeing how we can allow and help women to step more into leadership positions. Um, so that is, that is really something that, mm, I don't know, let me let me catch my thoughts just quickly so I can actually just uh, summarize it. Um, 
I moved to South Africa in 2011 and started teaching at the Nelson Mandela University there. And that's really predominantly where I came across the major issue of not having enough women um, in leadership positions, but not only because the system is um, not is working against them, but also because a lot of women in that surrounding had um, difficulties trusting other women and supporting other women to step into leadership positions. And so um, really since then, what I've been trying to do is focus more on that, how we can amplify and uplift women and tell their stories and show the diversity of stories and show also what diverse leadership looks like and that with different leaderships, with different leadership uh, styles, we can still achieve the same outcome. So that is a little bit, you know, just um, on my uh, background. And sorry, because like I just like stepped into the room and I was just like hearing the conversation. I was just trying to to figure out like what what what, what is everyone talking about? But um, I think what I'm finding really mostly is that if we allow conversations and open questions, we allow stories to appear. And in these stories, we can also then help other people to understand how leaders appear in our surrounding in different forms and different different styles. Um, so with the, with the work that I'm really doing is, you know, just trying to create equality between human beings, not just equality between one or the other gender or however we want to classify it, but really say, you know, the experience of someone that has lived the majority of uh, of their life somewhere in Burundi is as equal and valid as the experience of someone that has been, for example, in New York or so. So, um, yeah, that is just my slight contribution um, on it. And I hope that I, you know, caught up uh, with the topic also. Yeah, well, you hit a point that's very dear to me. And that point is that women often don't support each other. And that is something that I have come up against lots and lots of times in my, you know, my own coaching of women, where they they're not jealous. I'm not sure what the you know what the term might actually be, but Com competitive, competitive. Yeah, competitive. competitive with each other in ways that that are not fruitful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's come on, guys, girls. You know, if we're gonna make the do this, let's do it. Let's not, you know, sort of subvert each other. And I, I was the head of a um, women's re commercial real estate organization. And I noticed that that happened in the organization all the time. It's, it, it was almost like third grade lunch line with everybody trying to, you know, push ahead to the front of the lunch line. And, and it was all women. And I was like, that's... You know, I have some. I have go some ahead. good news. What's I just spoke. The good news? I just spoke in Scottsdale. As we couldn't meet, but a few months ago, at the CBRE, so that's the Commercial Real Estate Association, with the top 300 women in the U.S. And I asked them about collaboration and whether that had increased. Cheryl, I think you were there too. You were there. Um, 
had increased uh, from competition to collaboration and hands went up in an ocean of hands. So it is shifting. I think once we recognize that that's a lose-lose proposition, uh, I think we become and we think about the bigger we and that we're better together than in competition. So better I, together. That's yeah. my that's my yeah. thing. Better together. It. But hold on. You got it. Let me let me ask your opinion as women looking at the men interacting, right? Do they not compete among themselves as well? Oh, yes. oh my God! The men. Oh, yes. I, listen, right. I, so I sit in these clubhouse rooms, and these men take each other apart. They call each other names. They they're compete rude. in a different way. Yeah, they're it's different. They're I, they're very overt in how they do it. Right. They that's compete. it, Barbara. Overt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, but it's quite different, I think, Heyman, and it and it oh, goes back to these gender differences, in that men, first of all. There are plenty of men at the top, so the competition mm. is different. For women, if there's just one or two coveted spots mm. and women feel like there aren't going to be others, it doesn't feel like there's room. Also, guys are used to kind of like putting their buddies Debate. forward, right? Yes. right? They like to bring their buddies forward. I don't know that competition when they're um, mentoring or coaching others to them their whole paradigm is so different in that. It's like, you know, it reflects well on them. It's just, it's just different. You do see men, and I know we're over time, but you do see men kind of debate and take each other, pick each other apart and say, what a tacky tie you're wearing today or whatever. Right. And then they go out for a beer and that's very hard for women to do. If, if you Mm. attack each other like that, women tend to take it very personally and it's very hard for them to look at that and say, wait a minute, you just, you're going for a beer with that guy when you just tore him apart? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Really. Well, Gigi on Clubhouse wanted mostly... to say something, and also Jenny on Colin wanted to say something at the end. Gigi. Okay, let's do that. Thank you. There's, there's, gosh, there's a rabbit hole that I don't want to fall into, but I, I feel the need to bring up. Um, I think that definitely women, like women at the top, I think once we, once people have gotten to that echelon, they do feel
the other point is that I think for women and Barbara brought uh, a really valid point up and um, two research studies actually came into my mind when she did that. One is that men open up doors and refer other men a lot faster than women because if that connection fails, they don't see that as a failure or as a bad reflection on themselves. So it's like, you know what, I'm going to connect you and it depends, like it's up to you to do something with this connection. But if it doesn't go, uh, if it doesn't go where it should go, it's not my fault. While women don't do that so easily because um, women quite often want to ensure that if I'm going to be opening up now my network to you, you better don't mess this up because otherwise it will reflect badly on me. And that comes, and there's tons of research on it, and it's super fascinating. It comes actually from um, the ability to learn to compete. So young boys and boys learn a lot more com uh, to compete with one another because they are quite often more involved in team sports, while girls often, you know, just go to to ballet. And yes, there is an increase of that, but usually the the sports or the activities don't have the same character uh, uh, characteristics of competition. Therefore, women often also don't really learn how to lose and take losing a lot harder. And I think that are really interesting um, aspects because it's pretty simple. You know, like once you start opening up that chapter and you start talking about it, no matter how what age you are, that is something that you can learn because you can sign up, you know, for any kind of adult soccer team or whatever, and just like, you know, experience losing. Or what I do quite often with my clients is I make them pick something where, where they know that they are going to fail at and go and do it and just fail with humor and laughter about it. Because that just kind of like shifts the perspective in your mind um, on it. So that are the two things that, um, you know, uh, Barbara was uh, was saying something and a Dr. Hardaway, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. You mentioned also something like these. Yeah, there is just, there is tons of research on it that we can actually take. And the research is giving us really simple activities to make up for it. And um, really one of them is, and, and that's something that I've been trying to preach. I'm like, if you know someone that knows someone and that person can help the other person that is asking for your help, just connect them. You know, like it might not work out. It's fine. But you know, the chances are actually quite high that it will benefit everyone that is within that process. And we are so afraid, you know, with all that and I don't know exactly if it's jealousy or, you know, the feeling that there is that that there isn't just enough out there or enough positions. But it's simply as we, we have to do these things in order to start becoming comfortable with it. And if we don't do it, we will never overcome um, overcome that hurdle. So, well, you know, I have come to the conclusion that um, in my business life, I, I am a man. I mean, it's unbelievable because I've always connected people to each other um, without, you know, saying, hey, you guys meet. It's up to you. And, yeah, bar, um, we're, what we're going to do now is end the room because I always like to end the room. I'm all, already going to be 10 minutes over. Um, I like to keep the rooms to an hour. I'd like to tell you all that next week we're going to talk about the power of empathy, which this discussion really touched on. 
and next week is going to try to expand on. And it's I still one of the to... women in leadership though positions, right? Gender. What? What? Are yes, I'm, I want. The... I'm gonna. I'm gonna have Barbara. Yeah. Um, and in the room. Francine, can I just chime in and I'll keep it short? Oh, Jenny, on call inside. Sorry. Oh, of course, of course. Thanks. I just had a recent experience of stepping out of my comfort zone. I'm an actor and worked my way up to regional theater before I, we started our family. And then I took my 25 year break to have our five kids and, and went back to the theater in 2012. And per the comment of, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone, I offered myself as the board director for a theater company. And they said, yes, much to my surprise, I don't have any executive experience, no real credentials except participation in theater and had just a complete failure experience. I mean, they, they recently just removed me as the board chair because of, uh, uh, what was the word, unprofessionalism. And it was such a colossal failure on so many levels that I had to laugh at how badly it went. I just was flying by the seat of my pants trying to figure it out as I went. And then it ends with this boom of, uh, we would like you to please leave. So I can concur that having, you know, a lightheartedness about stepping out of your comfort zone is very good for all of us, men and women. And especially when it comes to, you know, recognizing where your strengths and your weaknesses are. I think women are wired to be homemakers, to do the multitasking of caring for children and caring for a home. And that most women will be happy, happiest being the queen of their own castle. And that they should all recognize that when they step out of that space into the real world and they're up against, you know, people who have been. Don't call it. Don't call anything else the real world with their own castle. It's also the real world. Agreed. Agreed. But to my point, it's that because I don't have the credentials, I didn't have the resume to be a president of anything, especially a theater company. I'm, I'm mostly an actor, performer. Um you know, that you are up against these other people who have more credentials and it's very intimidating and it's healthy to just have a sense of humor about all of it so that when you have a failure experience, you're not completely devastated because because I wasn't. I was just laughing the whole time and, and chuckling along the way that I was actually in that position. So um, thanks for the room, Francine. I loved hearing the conversation. Thanks, Jeannie. I mean, I just want to add that to that. That's a very enlightened approach to take. Often uh, women will personalize it and then ruminate about it for a long time. So I just want to acknowledge you for taking that light version. You took a risk, like a project, knowing that they were, you know, with your eyes wide open saying, you know, I may not be able to pull this off, but you took it, which is great. And you probably well, learned a lot from say, it. So I do it. The person who encouraged me the most to do it was the late Clarence Gilliard. He recently just passed away. This is the theater company that he helped start with Richard Bug 20 years ago. And when I kind of tossed my hat into the ring, it was Clarence who said, go for it. I think you'll do great. And it meant so much that this, you know, person who'd been in Hollywood and live theater and done all of this amazing work in educational spaces, um, was the one cheering me on. It meant everything to me. And, you know, he recently yeah. passed away. And um, I'll always have this place in my heart for Clarence being the one to say, you go, girl. Well, and you'll now you'll have a credential that you wouldn't have ordinarily had. And 
I'm thinking, I'm hoping it'll work for you the way it works for tech bros. You know, the first company fails and they just tell the venture capitalists that it failed and then they get funded again because the venture capitalist thinks they now have the experience and they know where the minefields are. So you know where the minefields are in theater management. I'm still more comfortable but, on stage. <laughs> okay. Okay. We, you, you can be on stage. We, we'll let you be on stage. <laughs> anyway, thank you, everybody, for coming. I love you all. I'm blessed to have you come every week and teach me something and discuss things with each other. And I'm sorry, I hope Barbara, you... or did Barbara want to? Oh, sorry. I, I missed it. <laughs> I don't know. I was waiting. Okay. So here it is. Um, thank yeah. you, Dr. Francine and everyone. And we love you too. And next week we're going to be talking about the power of empathy and also include the, the concept of women in leadership and what women bring when it comes to empathy with working with men. So that's going to be part of it. And we invite you all to join us and uh, continue this robust dialogue. It's really been great. Thank you so much. Have a great day, folks. And thank you for joining us from Clubhouse as well as Colin. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Take care, all.